Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, another week has gone by and we are already halfway through May, which is wild to me. Um, this is Ascension Sunday, um, although typically because Ascension is 40 days after Easter Sunday, it's typically celebrated or recognized on Thursday, um, but we get to kind of dive into it this week. So I'll start with our text from Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by him. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. The word of the Lord. So the Ascension is a particular time in the church calendar that acts as a moment right before another big thing happens. And not that the Ascension isn't a wild moment in and of itself, but it is a precursor to the disciples receiving of the Holy Spirit. And much like how I think more time is often spent on Easter messages than that of Good Friday, I'm excited to get some moments here reflecting on what it meant for Jesus to leave before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Ascension occurs those 40 days after, and as in my last sermon, I refer us back to our common clarifying statement that the bigger picture to focus on is what the story or, te or text teaches us about life, death, and resurrection more than the particulars of a moment described. And what I like about this text is that I think it asks us, what does presence mean? How are we present to one another? How is God present to us? And what is the value of absence? Now, both presence and absence can hold a positive or negative value. While presence may hold a more positive connotation, there can be times that someone's presence is actually doing violence to another. 
absence might have more of a negative connotation, but I think that there's actually a lot of grace and beauty in absence and opportunity for growth than we always give it credit for. And so here I will kind of ebb and flow between what presence and absence mean, and I invite you to walk and listen with me through it. So in this first kind of move, Jesus calls us to be active in our pursuit and sometimes leaves questions unanswered. And for me, I think it is so that we don't get complacent in our calling. See, Jesus doesn't really give a direct answer to the disciples when they ask, is this when restoration is going to come? And Jesus not answering the question directly does two things. One, it doesn't really give us a deadline in that there isn't some mark that we are working towards. So once we start getting close, we just give up working towards heaven on earth. Um, Second, it points to the fact that we are actively participating in the already, not yet, as we are here. And I think that Jesus was smart to not give a direct answer because I think he knows us. He knows our vices. He knows that we have a false sense of authority when we know too much. And in this knowing of our human nature, also knowing that we have the tendency to get complacent, let things be or go, that we would no longer try to seek the kingdom of God here on earth in our time, if we knew when restoration from outside of ourselves was going to come. And so it invites us to remain present to what is important to pursue, whether that is community, love, justice, or peace. I would say that complacency is a certain kind of absence, as it is the absence of care or motivation to continue pursuing these important things. And there's plenty that can distract us from this, and I leave this as a reminder that presence isn't always about doing something so much as being something, and often that something is just yourself. And in all of this, it's important to recognize that we are also receiving this in the context of the author of Luke's second book, with the ascension acting as a bridge between the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and the continued work of the church. And I really love the book of Acts because it is about how the early church remains present to the world even after Jesus returns or withdraws. However you understand the moment of ascension, or as Ryan names it, Jesus is withdrawing, I believe it furthers the point of how we understand God's presence in the world in and through us and in and through the Spirit. And of course, there's a middle ground between completely accepting or completely dismissing the story of the ascension. And we can invite skepticism while honoring the tradition and the process of both to help us make meaning. All of this is held in tension. And we get to this place too because some text describes the ascension as happening the same day as resurrection. Other describe Jesus as appearing to Paul years later on the road to Damascus. Here we get it after 40 days after resurrection. And at the end of the day, I think the moral is that Jesus leaves his human experience as we may experience one another, and invites us to consider what an encounter with God and with grace feel and look like 
to us now. And so in this, I think that Jesus still moves as powerfully through a ministry of absence as he does in a ministry of presence. So in this text, I mean, what a big moment and illustration. Jesus leaves the disciples behind. He withdraws. Jesus is one of few leaders who we see actively and willingly give up his presence and position. He leads out of such a radical grace that he doesn't do the human thing of holding on to power that comes primarily from being so present and so um, able to be seen. And he, and think of any dynasty or person in power, most if not all want to continue to hold that space. But Jesus instead opts for a ministry of absence with a promised continued presence through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit continues to guide us and be with us, often towards the uncomfortable but most important work of seeking love, mercy, and justice in our world. And Henry Nouwen has a few uh, wise words about the ministry of absence, that there is a ministry in which our leaving creates space for God's spirit in which, by our absence, God can become present in a new way. And now in here is talking about us leaving a certain space, especially as leaders in the church, um, and creating space for other people to experience God without that presence of leadership or authority. But I also think it's true in the Acts of Ascension. And we can't dismiss the power of the Holy Spirit even as we seek to understand her in a new way in a space like here. And I won't spend too much time talking about the Holy Spirit as we'll have an opportunity to explore that more next week during Pentecost. But I think it's interesting that we haven't really spent much time talking about the Holy Spirit um, outside of talking about just the continued presence of God that we experience as we move and act in ways that forward peace economic and social justice, environmental health, and all of our other uh, justice issues as we exist in this kind of connected community. And I heard once that if you are looking to meet the Holy Spirit, participate in a social movement. I think that's pretty true. The Spirit is found in embodiment and is a kind of presence. Sometimes it is all we have left in us to as it's described, sigh too deep for words, as the Spirit does in the text. To sigh and mourn without the right words to say, in a moment and in a year like we are now, as we grieve so many deaths of people who should still be with us today. And Bruce Epperly, who is a process theologian, states, the Spirit calls us to include rather than exclude. She challenges every attempt to confine her inspiration and invites everyone to be spirit-filled. So how does our understanding of God push us to be present or absent from people, whatever their life experiences? And as we explore absence, um, I invite you to think, have you ever had a powerful conversation with a friend and after you're done visiting with them, you continue to think about it. Sometimes you learn even more in the reflection on the conversation. 
they're still ministering to you even in their now absence. An emotional and spiritual presence does not always require physical presence. I think we know that in the way that we have experienced church in the last year and a half. Um, I think I would speak for many that sometimes in our realities, we have this balance between um, absence and presence and questioning that space, especially in our frustration about the realities we face in the day to day. There might be feelings um, of anger or holy rage, feeling that God is absent from the fight against racial inequality, police brutality, all of the things we face today. And there might be a question of, why God? How could this happen again? And I think that the biblical text has a lot more space for doubt and questions and holy rage than we sometimes give it credit for. And even in Jesus's physical absence, I believe that God is still present with us and mourns with us in the ways in which our world does not reflect God's heart. I think it is a gift that we are invited into the work as well. So of course, I think in all of Mission Hills, we probably have different ideas of what it means to be present, whether that is God's presence with us or our presence with others. And, you know, I think it's it's fun reading the Barbara Brown Taylor book, um, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she talks about in her book that we're reading um, in our Wednesday night group of this experience sitting in the Sinai Desert where she, quote, sat in a silence so thick that it felt like a presence. And I think for me, God's presence and absence and that mix of the two is kind of like that. The absence of noise was a presence for her in that way. I think the absence of a physical presence in the way that we might understand a bodily experience of God um, still creates a presence in its own way to us. And even we have a ministry of absence with each other as we remember those who are maybe not here every Sunday, yet they still hold so much weight in our community. The purpose of meeting together as a community is not that we pat ourselves on the back for meeting together, it is so that we have a space with one another and a presence so that we can go back into our world as we are and join the process of the kingdom. I think in this all, I love just that moment of everyone kind of staring up towards heaven as they're experiencing this. Just imagine stumbling onto the scene with the disciples all looking up towards heaven. Maybe you catch yourself looking up at the sky too, confused what's happening. But of course, the language we receive in Acts reflects a first century worldview that invokes an image of this three-tier cosmology. There's earth, the underworld, and heaven above the sky. And so it makes sense that Jesus would ascend towards heaven above the sky. Of course, it didn't consider the cosmos as we know them today, that the sun is the center of the universe and that we're not the only planet of importance. But this is why we get that imagery of ascending towards heaven. But we get this kind of question and more or less is stating like, why are you wasting your time looking towards heaven? The need is here and now. 
And I think as much of the time and the importance of reflection as well, it's kind of this, all right, it's time to get started on the work that continues to be here. Um, it invites us into God's story to reveal Christ in us. Jesus doesn't come to just give us something. He makes us relevant to the story. He doesn't stay. He doesn't build the, the church. And he offers very few instructions. He wasn't building an empire. He says, you too will do what I did and more. He kind of hands the keys over to the disciples. And if that moment never happened, I wonder what the church would look like and how it would have come to be. But again, I think Luke's purpose in Acts seems to be the show of the continuing work of Jesus carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. In short, it is saying that Jesus has been resurrected and his life and work proceed in the church and in this collective power. So when I used to run for Team World Vision, uh, they had a fun name for our cheer squad, the Spectathletes. And these family members and friends who cheered us on definitely spent a great deal of energy cheering us on. They provided snacks, dealt with the weather as they watched us run. But of course, they had a much different experience on the sideline than running the race. And while I love and dearly cherish the spectathletes, and it is no disrespect of their awesome support, there's just something to be said about what it is like to be a part of the race and the work of the running, something that you never thought you could finish. And I think this is mirrored in our pursuit of anti-racism, um, that we're called to step out of passively watching um, and into the direct action of the work Jesus is called to do. Um, attending protests against violence happening in our world, working towards the care of our planet, um, or any other number of ways to engage in justice. And this is part of our call, however and whenever we are able. Recognize that there are moments to reflect and rest, maybe even question that moment of looking up towards heaven, and then there are moments that we get to join in the work. And in the same way that the disciples wanted the restoration to come immediately, I know that we wish restoration, or better yet, a completely new world where equality is true in our nature, that it would have come hundreds of years ago. But we are still in the work, and there is time to stop looking up and looking out, to get on, um, for there is important work to be done out in a hurting world. And in our journey of faith, we are called not to just be spectators, but continue to join and carry in and carry out the ministry of the work. And in essence, I think this text is so interesting because it very well captures the kerygma, the good news, the cycle of life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The number 40 was basically just shorthand for saying a long time passed, rather than always a literal 40 days, years, etc. But whether or not 
this event happens 40 days after a day of resurrection does not matter so much to me. What matters is what it teaches us about the power of cycle and ritual in our lives. Just like we maybe have come from spaces that skipped over Good Friday, I think often we skip over this period between Ascension and Pentecost without truly understanding the gift of a ministry of absence. That we may be allowed some space to be alone with our thoughts to make some meaning. And granted, in this absence, I still do believe there to be a certain kind of presence. um, That God is still speaking even in a moment of supposed silence or absence. But on the whole, I think in all of this, we're called to not be complacent, to understand Jesus' continued presence with us in the work, even in a bodily absence, and that we're called to pay attention to and respond to the here and now, rather than idly watch heaven. Let us be hope-filled people who remain faithful in committing to this, that we get to be a part of the work, that we get to be a spirit-empowered witness to the world. So as a sending out, I leave you with this prayer from Teresa of Avila. God of love, help us to remember that Christ has no body now on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless everyone now. Ours are the feet with which Christ is to go about doing good. We can find beauty in both presence and absence. So with all of that, friends, um, I'm so excited to just talk about these complex spaces of absence and presence, how they are have become important to our faith and our journeys, um, how we envision connecting with God, with the Holy Spirit, with others, and also create space to see what is it that we need to focus on um, now, in 2021, what does a ministry of presence and a ministry of absence look like today? So I look forward to talking with y'all about these things on Zoom. Um, As always, we are just grateful to have this space in the community. And so as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.